We are going to take a break from uh, 2 Timothy. I promise we're going to finish that up this summer, and um, we'll jump back to it soon. Thank you, guys. Did y'all have another song? Did I interrupt? No. Okay. Weirding me out here. Confuse me. Uh, I've been involved in ministry uh, of some sort since I was saved 18 years ago. I'm getting old. Uh, At this point, if I had to boil down the Christian walk, I think it would, for me, come down to uh, one essential truth. One, maybe you could put it in the form of a question. And it would have to be, what do you believe to be true about God? What do you believe to be true about God? Now, that that isn't just my finding. Lots of much smarter, more uh, versed theologians have come up with similar answers that point in the same direction. A guy named A.W. Tozer put it this way, and we've mentioned this numerous times before if you've been here. The most important thing, he said, about us is what would come to our mind when we think about God. Now, just let let, let that happen for you for a moment. What comes to your mind when you think about God? And Tozer, a great Christian thinker on worship and all things theology, his, his point here is that, that that might just, in fact, be the most important thing about you. It's pretty similar to my question. What do you believe to be true about God? Some of us, when we think about God, we put him in the category of an uninvolved creator who lacks any real concern for us. Yeah? Some of us, at one point or another, have seen him as a harsh father, that is, seriously overbearing. Some of us put him in the category of a grumpy old man upstairs that's waiting behind a cloud with a lightning bolt to whack us. Some of us have seen God as uh, inept, maybe out of control, eternal being that just kind of floats around up there, and he's at the mercy of humanity's actions, and he's kind of wringing his hands, just waiting to see what we might do next. He has no idea, and he'll just respond as we move and act and do, and he's kind of this in this cosmic uh, ping-pong match with Satan, who is his equal adversary. Some of us actually put God in that category. Still others imagine him to be a spineless pushover that would never, ever declare ultimate truth or justice. He's just kind of subjectively letting anything we believe be fine with us. Still others see him one way, maybe in the Old Testament, and completely another way, in the New Testament. No continuity, no integrity, no integration of God. Whatever the case may be, what comes to your mind when you consider the person of God speaks volumes. It speaks volumes. Whoever you make God out to be shapes your response to Him. Let me say that again. Whoever you make God to be in your mind shapes your response to Him. So you can imagine then why this is the most important thing about us. What we think about when we think of our God. A.W. Tozer went on to say that nothing twists or deforms a man's soul more than a deformed and twisted view of man's God. The truth is, many will not embrace God because their idea of God is deformed. Yeah? Is that right? Maybe at one point or another in your life, before God brought clarity, your idea, your picture, your thinking of who that God is was deformed. 
Many have gotten God all wrong. At one point or another, we all have gotten God all wrong. Many of us have formed God into this image of our own liking. I imagine God to be like this. I imagine that if there is a God up there somewhere, he must, he must, be, he must be concerned with these things and not concerned with these things. The most valuable task, if that's true, and I believe it is, the most valuable task you could undertake would be to search the Scriptures and to find out who God says that He is. Who does God say that He is? The best way to do that is to go to the source, right? Find out what God says about Himself. We can imagine Him to be this or that, but He knows best who He is, doesn't He? Scripture says this, that He is completely trustworthy. Now let me tell you why that's important. Numbers 23, God is not a man that he should lie. He's not going to lie about who he is. Nor is he the son of a man that he should repent, meaning he's not going to flip-flop back and forth on us. We're not going to think he's this one day and that another. Has he said and will he not do it? And the inference is, absolutely he will do exactly what he said. Has he spoken and will he not make it good? And the inference is, absolutely God will make his word good. There is, no, there is no shadow of turning, Scripture says, in our God. We can trust what He says about Himself. And that's not true of the rest of us, is it? That there is deceitfulness in us, and we can't absolutely even believe what we say is to be true about ourselves. We might exaggerate who we are. We might hide part of who we are. God cannot do that. Now, this may sound trite, but listen. God's opinion of Himself is the only one that really matters. Our opinion of God really in the final evaluation, makes no difference at all. God's opinion is the most valuable, and it can be completely trusted. If we get God wrong, here's the point, everything falls apart. If that picture that we paint in our head of who God is, if it's off, if it's not in line with who God says He is, then everything else kind of crumbles around that. And we can't correctly relate to our one true God because we don't know who that one true God is. We may have fabricated who we think He is, but we fall short of relating to him now because he's not actually who we thought he might be. We've got to go to the source. As a pastor, uh, helping people walk out their Christianity for a number of uh, years now, I, I know this is true. I I've found time after time that this is true. The more that your concept of God is goofed up, twisted, deformed, the more your relationship with him will be goofed up, twisted, and deformed. If you ask me how most people need help in life, my answer would be, both theologically and practically, because theology is practical in my mind, the answer would be to help them see God clearly for who He truly is, who He says He is. Clearly and correctly. Every time, if you think about it, every time in Scripture that you see a human encounter God in Scripture, that human always, always lays himself out bare before God, recognizing that He is seen inside and out. There's always this attitude of confession and repentance in the presence of God, and they always come away changed. How do we help people in their Christian life and their walk? We help them to see clearly who God is. That's been the, the primary goal of this ministry. Now, even into our fifth year, is to show people who God is. Show Him His glory because He alone shapes men into what they ought to be. The truth of who God is shapes us into the truth of who we should be. Let me give you a tip right here. You want to know an answer to the question, what is, 
What is it that we should be thinking about when we think about God? You want to know an answer to the question, what does God look like? The, the tip is this, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Jesus himself said that if you've seen me, you've seen who? You've seen the Father. For in him, Colossians 2.9 says, for in him all the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form. Have you ever thought about those words? Maybe you've heard them before. But the fullness of deity dwells in Christ in bodily form. That's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He's all wrapped up in the package. If you want a picture, if you want a portrait of what the Godhead is, the fullness of the deity, it's all in Jesus. You don't just get in Jesus, just Jesus. You get the entire Godhead, the entire fullness of deity in him. You want a tip about Knowing what to think of when you think of God in your mind, think about Jesus. Put the picture of Christ in your mind. Colossians 1, he says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He reveals what until the point of Jesus' incarnation had been to a degree mysterious to humanity, had been hidden. And so now this invisible God becomes visible. We, we can have an understanding of what he looks like. Now by look like, I, I'm not talking about his facial features, how long his hair was, what kind of flip-flops he wore, uh, any of that kind of stuff. I'm not talking about the, the, the tint of his skin. That, that's not what I'm talking about when I say, what kind of picture do you get in your mind? I'm talking about his character, his person, his holiness, his trustworthiness, his attitude towards us. So are you, are you not yet a believer in God? Look at Jesus. He will give you clarity of that picture. Are you born again and wondering what to do day to day to day? The answer, look at Jesus. Find the truth about him in him. Can I give you one, one further tip? You want to speed up your view of Jesus? Just look at the cross. If you want to fast forward in, into painting that portrait of what God intends for us to imagine when we think about our God, think about the cross. Paul put it this way, I preach Christ, what? Crucified. Isn't that, isn't that both amazing and odd at the same time? He could have picked any other thing to say that he preaches. I preach Christ the great forgiver. I preach, preach Christ the great redeemer. I preach Christ in his mercy, in his grace, in his gentleness, in his long suffering. I preach Christ anything he could have chosen. But divinely inspired deity has chosen the wording for him. He says, I preach Christ crucified. You want to you speed up that, that painting of the portrait in your mind of what God looks like. Go straight to the cross. Go straight to the cross. Jesus himself said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. Uh, we often misapply that verse. We often put it into the worship context. And we, we talk about it in worship circles. If we lift... If we, if we lift God up before the congregation, he'll draw all men to himself. Now, I believe that to be true in the way that it's intended to be. But it's not actually true in this verse. In the context, and it goes on to say that he was speaking of his what? Of his crucifixion. Jesus saying, if they lift me up, I'll draw all men to myself. Yet further reason for us when we, when we picture our God, when we want to get a complete portrait of who the God in his fullness is. Go straight to the cross. Go straight to Christ crucified. Uh, 
guy that Kimberly and I had the, uh, had the uh, fortune to know while we were in seminary. A guy named Bill Gillum. He's a Christian psychologist. Uh, was at the University of Oklahoma. He, uh, he does a teaching on your identity and how to, how to uh, better paint this portrait in your mind and how this relates to our relationship with God, etc. Uh, just a good old Texan. He passed away this year, and I, I just heard about it recently. And uh, I went back to his website, and I was listening to some of his things. Just a sweet, he and his wife, uh, just a sweet Texas couple. And uh, they, would just, they would just sit, and they explained, frankly, uh, the, the Godhead and God's love for us clearer, frankly, than I've ever heard anybody explain it. Up to that point, and frankly, past that point. In just such simplicity and clarity. And I heard him say just the other night, he said, you know, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, he said uh, in his good Texas way, he said, if, if you have trouble, anytime I have trouble picturing who God is, he said, I always remind myself to put on my sunglasses, my S-O-N glasses. Yeah. And that's the perspective that we're to have. The sun is the invisible revelation of God. Well, that, that is the most important thing in life that you can do, but it's not my main point for this morning. The most important thing you can do, we could say, is to get a correct view of who your God is, but, but that's, that's not my emphasis this morning. My main point today is for you to consider the second most important thing in my evaluation. All right? If Tozer said that the most important thing about us is what we think of when we think about God, I would say that the second most thing important most important thing about us is what we think about when we think about ourselves. Hmm. Now do that for a moment. What do you think about when you think about yourselves? Once again, if you get this wrong, if you get this wrong, if your view of yourself is deformed and twisted, the truth of who you really are, then other than uh, if you get this wrong, if you have a poor view, other than having a poor view of God himself, this, this is the worst place you can go wrong, is having a poor view of yourself. Now remember what we said. If you really want to know God, if you really want to know who God is, you go to God, right? So let's think through this. You go to the source to give the correct view. So then if you want a correct view of yourself, who should you go to? The source? Yourself? No. The answer has to be no on this one. You can't go there. Why? Remember what we said about God? God is completely trustworthy. He cannot lie. There is no shadow of turning in him. He won't hide anything about himself from us. He won't uh, exaggerate anything about himself to make himself look better. He's completely trustworthy in his own evaluation of himself. So we can go to him for his opinion about himself, and it's the correct opinion. We go to the source. But if the second most important thing about us is what we think about when we think about ourselves, how do we determine what we are to think about ourselves? We can't, we can't go to ourselves as the source because we're flawed. We're, we're not trustworthy. We might just exaggerate yeah, if we start to talk to ourselves and tell ourselves who we might be. Or we might undercut ourselves in another fashion. On the other hand, our evaluations of ourselves are often shaped by our deformed and twisted view of ourselves. Listen to this. According to Scripture, our hearts are fickle. 
prideful and downright deceitful, aren't they? We, we fool ourselves. Strangely enough, we will lie to ourselves. We're, we're, we're not trustworthy for our own sake. Scripture says we get help with that from the father of lies, the devil, don't we? He likes to speak to us and plant lies in our mind and use the first person pronoun to do that. And so now we have the thoughts in, in us that, that go something like this. I really am this. I'm really not that. And we become to shape and form opinions about ourselves that may or may not be true. And he likes to foster those opinions, those wrong opinions. The most important thing about us is how accurate our view is of God. The second most important thing about us is how accurate our view is of ourself. The amazing thing is, is that both of these are true, whether or not you know Christ or you've yet to come to be born again. Think about it. If you've never trusted Jesus as Savior, I say look to the cross and find the greatest display of God's character and personhood. If you have been saved for many years, keep looking at Jesus. He's multifaceted diamond that, that we see in different light every, every time we look. Much in the same way, whether you're a Christian or not, you likely have a faulty view of yourself. If you aren't born again, Scripture indicates that you likely think, listen now, too highly of yourself. Ah, I don't really need Jesus. I'm, I'm okay. I'm pretty good on my own. If you're a Christian, watch this. It's just the opposite. You likely think too lowly of yourself. Both are lies. Both are lies that the devil would, would gladly help us believe. And isn't that just like him? To lie to us either way. That we're better than we think or not the person God says we are. God, on the other hand, listen, is loving. In fact, Scripture says that God himself is love. He can be trusted in his opinion of you on either side of salvation. On our own, we aren't perfect. We are really not even close, are we? That's the truth of who we are. We are wretched. We lie. We are prideful. We are selfish. We are deceitful. In a word, we are sinners, what God says we are. And God doesn't lead us to believe that we're anything other than that. Because he loves us. And he would be lying if he told us otherwise. Even more, listen. And this is really where I want us to focus this morning. God wants you to know the truth about you now that you are in Christ. You need to know the truth about you now that you are born again. I'll dare to say that most Christians struggle knowing what to think of themselves even after being born again, even after trusting the grace of God, most Christians, and I could even say perhaps all Christians at some point in time, at different seasons in their life, struggle to know the truth about who they are in Christ. That's a problem. So what's Satan's goal now? It's the same as it was before. It's the same as it was before Christ, to get us to believe the lie. So now that we're in Christ, he's still working to disrupt, to get us to believe the lie. Check this out. Surely you aren't what God has declared you to be. Surely he doesn't love you like he's said he's loved you. Here's how it works. First you were good enough, and now you're not good enough. You see how he flip-flops? You see how he takes whatever angle might work? 
Before Christ, you don't need saving. You're really a pretty good dude. Uh, you're not as bad as some others. You, really, you haven't killed anybody, right? That's the lie that he's, that he's pulling us towards. After Christ, well, God really can't love you. You know that, right? I mean, just think back to how awful of a person you were. Do you really think that he has saved you from all of that? Do you really think he can forgive you for that? I don't think he can forgive you for all that. Either way, he's planning lies. Now, let me really mess you up, okay? Because if typically, before we get to Christ, he's saying, you're, you're good enough on your own. You don't need God's grace. You don't need forgiveness. You're a pretty good guy. Uh, you'll make it on your own. Don't, don't worry about running to Christ. If that's the typical before Christ and the typical after Christ is, is that you're, uh, he really can't love you as much as he, he says he does. He really surely can't forgive you for all of that. I mean, even those things that, you, that nobody else knows about you, God knows those things about you. You really think he's going to forgive you of those. That's his typical MO. But here's what really messes you up. Let's say you begin to work your way into the truth on either side of that. Well, Satan will just flip-flop on you again. And so now you start to believe what Scripture says about you before Christ, that you are a sinner, that you are in need of a Savior. You know what he does? Instead of pulling you away from that truth, he'll push you right to the extreme of that truth. You are actually a sinner over here. You do need help. And you know what? You need so much help that I don't think even God can help you. I mean, I really don't think God is going to be able to forgive you for all that. Think about all the things you've done. Do you really think God can overlook those things? And instead of pulling you towards lies, he'll push you right through the truth into another lie. And that's just how he works. And on the other side, we start to believe that, that we are forgiven. We are children of God. We are redeemed. We are, we are whole and complete and saved by his grace. And we start to embrace that. Instead of pulling us away from that, if that's not working, better believe that Satan will just push you right past that truth into another lie. And so now you start hearing those first-person pronouns. I'm, I'm really a pretty good guy. I'm doing pretty good at this thing. Uh, God had a really easy choice choosing me. I mean, I know it had to be difficult with some of these other guys, but it's pretty easy. I'm doing pretty good. You see how that works? He's not only a liar, he's crafty. It's dangerous. Satan is hard at work. This morning, I want to specifically help us as believers know exactly who we are in grace. I want to help you to paint a portrait in your mind of who you are in Christ that is accurate according to God's opinion. Because if we go by our twisted and deformed opinion of ourselves, either before we come to Christ or even now that we are in Christ, our relationship with Him is hampered. Just like if our portrait of God is twisted and deformed, it affects our relationship with Him. So listen, let me, let me read to you here. Um, got a list. And why don't you just, uh, don't take this as a preaching time. Why don't you just take this as a, as a meditation time. I'm going to read to you what we, uh, just some common things that we may believe about ourselves that are actually lies now that we are in Christ. And then I want to give you the scripture that tells you the truth about who you are. So if you just want to stare at the floor, if you want to close your eyes, if you want to, if you want to ask yourself to any of these, if I, if I heard myself say any of these things about myself, even now that I'm in Christ, 
check it off, but then listen to the truth of what God's Word says. Sometimes we think falsely that we are too weak to resist sin, don't we? Romans 6 and 7 would have us to know that Christ has freed me from sin's controlling power. We often feel like God has given up on us. Romans 8, I'm neither condemned now nor in the future. Often we feel like no one loves us. Romans 15, I'm fully accepted in Christ. I'm not a saint. I know myself way too well. 1 Corinthians, all who are in Christ are saints. You're a saint, believer. Despite what your history is, you are a saint. Despite what your current performance is, you are a saint. But I feel so inferior. 1 Corinthians 12, I'm a part of Christ's body and equal to all. But I'm such a failure. I'm, I'm hopeless. 2 Corinthians 2, I'm always his triumph despite appearances. There's no way I can understand the Bible. 2 Corinthians 3, my hardened mind has been removed. I'll never change. 2 Corinthians 5, I've already been changed. I'm, not a new, I'm a new creation. The old things have passed away. But I know very well that I am not righteous. 2 Corinthians 5, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. What if you don't have parents? Galatians 4, I'm a child of God and His heir. I'm inadequate and I'm lacking. Colossians 2, I am complete in Christ. Each person really just has to live out their own life. Colossians 3 says that Christ will express His life through me. Maybe I'd have made it if I'd have just won the lottery or had better luck. Ephesians, I've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. I'm always the last one to be chosen. I am the chosen by the one who makes the rules, Ephesians says. I feel guilty all the time. Well, God says that I'm forgiven, Ephesians 1. I worry about the future. Ephesians 1, my glorious future is set in spiritual concrete. I feel so insecure and I'm anxious. The truth is that you've been sealed with the Spirit. You are safe, Ephesians 1. I'm hoping to go to heaven when I die. Ephesians 2 declares that you're already in heaven, in Christ. I can't find direction for my life. Ephesians 2 says that you were recreated for good activity. The Holy Spirit will lead you as you trust Him. God always just seems so far. The truth is that you have been brought near to God. My problems are too trivial for God. Ephesians 3, I have boldness and confident access to my God. My mind is just crammed so full day to day. Philippians 4, His peace guards our hearts and our minds. What if I fall? What if I lose my job? What if my life falls apart? Philippians 4, all my needs, not necessarily our greeds, but all our needs are supplied amply. I could go on and on and on reading to you out of Scripture who Scripture says you are, who God 
says you are. Next to what you think about God, what you think about yourself is the most important thing about you. I'm convinced it's true. This weekend we celebrate our freedom from the tyranny of uh, of our old citizenship under England. The founding fathers signed their names on the dotted line and declared their separation from the old regime, adopting and embracing a new citizenship, a new identity. They declared our independence that day. The truth is, though, if you think about it, they, they didn't fully appreciate their freedom that day, I don't imagine. I mean, that was day one of independence. That was day one of the declaration of their freedom, of their being cut away from their old citizenship, of their old identity. And the day that those founding fathers signed that document, I imagine that they, that they read all the fine print, and then the others that were there came around, and they began to read it. And, and, and it, was, it was said that this was a declaration of now my freedom. And as I'm reading through this, uh, you got to imagine for those, for those first in the room that they, they had to be thinking, this is just too good to be true. This is just too good to be true. It's unbelievable. They couldn't fully appreciate the freedom they had. It took time. It took time. But their citizenship had changed, hadn't it? They were under a new ruler. They were under a new authority. They had a new name. God has declared us to be something truly unbelievable. Hasn't he? (laughs) Something too good to be true. That's the truth. You may not fully appreciate it. You may not fully appreciate who God says you are and how free God says you are. You may not have gotten through all the fine print of your declaration to see what your true identity is now that you are in Christ Jesus and that he is in you. Find it. Find it. The most important thing about you next to what you believe God to be is who you believe yourself to be now that you have been saved by the blood of Jesus. You may not fully appreciate that you are a child of God, you are a friend of God, you are joint heirs with Jesus. There is now no condemnation on you. Your sins have been forgiven, past, present, and future. Think about that. The power of sin in your life from day to day has been broken. Your eternity is sealed. The earnest payment of the Holy Spirit has been made. You have no worries. You know what an earnest payment is? Scripture says that the Holy Spirit was the earnest down payment on our salvation made by God. It's a financial term. It means that if you go to buy a house and they ask you, you got to put up some earnest money before we start laying the foundation. you got to put up a certain amount of money. And if you walk away from the deal, guess what? They get to keep that money. So when, when Scripture says that the Holy Spirit is the earnest payment on your salvation, check this out. If God fails and he walks away, you get to take the Holy Spirit to hell with you. And that's not going to happen. He is the earnest down payment of your salvation. Do you know that about yourself? That you are that secure. The most important thing about us, I would agree, Tozer, is what we think about when we think about our God. If we get that wrong, everything else falls apart. But church, I've been doing this long enough. I'm convinced that the next most important thing about us is that you better get right who you are now in Jesus. If not, 
There will be no joy. There will be no freedom. It will be all duty, responsibility, and labor. It will be a a burden and a weight on your shoulders to carry. Read your declaration of not independence, but dependence. See what God has declared on your behalf. We don't even separate ourselves. He has separated us out and called us holy. He's given us new citizenship in a new kingdom. And, and some of us are still, still flipping around saying, I can't believe, I can't believe this. it's this good. I can't believe it's this good. And some of us, we haven't, we haven't read through. We don't know how how good it is. We don't, we don't know what God has fully done for us. And you know what? This thing kind of works cyclical, I think. Until you fully understand what God has done for you in Christ, you can't fully understand that picture that you are to get of God. Either way, I'll go back to my original tip. Look at Jesus. Go straight to the cross. You want to know what to think about God and you want to know what to think about how God thinks about you? Go to the cross. Go to the cross. Let me read you as I close from 1 Corinthians and you just listen. If you know anything about the Corinthians, if you know anything about the city, the church, then you will know that it was a hard place. It was sort of a melting pot and uh, Paul was pretty hard on them. He spoke directly to some pretty difficult sins. I mean, it was a pretty rough place in regard to debauchery and sinfulness and immorality, etc., etc. And he had to speak strongly to this church. And he does so on more than one occasion. But listen to how Paul starts out his letter to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, I'll start in verse 2 of chapter 1. Grace to you and peace from God. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord. I'm reading 2 Corinthians. That'll work too. But we got it now? We're good. To the church of God, which is at Corinth. Who are they? They're the church in Corinth. Who have been, past tense, who have been, what? Sanctified. It's done. You have been sanctified. Not in your own doing, but in Christ Jesus. Saints, by the way. Saints is what he calls them. By calling, not by performance, not because they've measured up, but by God's declaration, you are called a saint. With how many? All who are in every place. Call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus. It was given to you. It was a gift. Past tense. In Christ. That in how many things? Everything. You were enriched in him in all speech and in all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you. 
so that you are not lacking in what? Any gift. Awaiting eagerly the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ, who will also do what? Confirm you to the end. Look at these words. Blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, through whom you were called into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, dear Lord, we, we, may, we may have missed it along the way. But the joy of our salvation is found not only by seeing you clearly for who you are, but seeing clearly what you've accomplished for us through the cross. Lord, my prayer for, for those who are gathered here this morning and for myself, for my family, and for even my children, twofold this morning Lord might you shape in us in our hearts and in our minds a correct view of who you are might it be balanced (laughs) might it be complete might it not tip one way or another might it take into consideration the fullness of your scripture so that we know from old to new testament who you have declared yourself to be because, Lord, we, we declare that we trust you. We trust that you will not lie to us. We trust that there is no shadow of turning in you. We trust that, that you'll not flip-flop on us, that you're not going to keep something about yourself from us, that there is full disclosure of your character, of your personhood, of your holiness. We trust you, God. Lord, would you, would you remove whatever twisted and deformed and messed up picture we have of you in our minds and would you replace it? Would you replace it with a correct and complete portrait? Father, whatever that deformed view is and however it came to be, Father, I ask that you would that you would mold it and shape it And if need be, Father, just erase the whole thing and start over anew in our hearts and in our minds. Tell us who you are, God. Give us a hunger for your word that we might search the scriptures to find out who you've told us you are. There's there's great comfort and freedom in knowing you for who you are. So would you do that in this body? Would you do that for us? Would you do that for me? Would you do that for our families, for our children. Show us who you are, God. So that like Moses, like John, like any that saw you face to face, we would see you so clear that we, that we would be changed forever and ever. And then, Lord, would you, would you begin to shape the view of ourselves? And if we've yet to be to be born again, if you, we've yet to be born anew, Father, maybe our, maybe our view of ourselves is too high. Would you knock us down? Would you, in all grace and love, would you crumble our pride so that we could see ourselves needy, wretched, short of your glory, sinners in need, 
of mercy and grace. Father, finally, if we are in you, if we have been born again, Lord, maybe we, maybe we haven't read the fine print of your declaration of freedom over us. Maybe we don't know how blessed we are. Oh, Lord, would you teach us? Teach us about ourselves so that we can enjoy our freedom, so that we can walk in our freedom, so that we can walk in our new citizenship, separate from the old regime that had power and authority over us. (laughs) We are free. We're free. God, to your glory, I, I pray and make these requests on behalf of this body. In Jesus' name, who is our cornerstone, our blessed Savior, and our friend, our Father. Amen and amen. Why don't you stand? We're going to sing one more song. And uh, if you don't know the words to the song, why don't you just think on the words and think on the truth from the word today. Ask God before you leave where he needs to shape truth in your heart and mind, whether it's the picture of him or whether it's the picture that is true of you. Figure out where you are, you are needing to be conformed and ask him to do it. Ask him to do it. Let's sing.